right. Well, looks like many more have joined us online, which is great. So great to see your names and a face. Thanks, Jeremy, for showing your face. We will be hearing from Doris after um, Teresa, who is in the room. We're going to start with Teresa this evening. But, yeah, I've just really, in, well, like I've said every time, I, I've enjoyed getting to know everybody better through Snap Talks, and I've enjoyed getting to know Teresa better through her Tuesday nights and just here. She's just a lovely person who really cares, very kind-hearted, walks the talk, and genuine. So I look forward to hearing from your sister. So come on. I am so old school that I actually copied and pasted. I cut things out and put them on there. So I am like <laughs> rebelling against technology in all, in all its forms. So, <laughs> but um, I was um, praying about what to talk about and um, being that I'm kind of probably towards the end of our snap talks, I was thinking I had one idea, but then as the snap talks kind of went on, I felt like the Lord wanted me to talk about suffering. And uh, just because of a lot of the stories that you guys have shared, I thought, wow, we, we've really endured a lot as a body and, and suffered. And so uh, the name of my snap talk is called Daddy, Can You Fix This? And I had written a poem a while back um, entitled that, and um, and it came from the heart of how you see your daddy. Like did, when you're a kid, you think if something's broke, it doesn't matter how bad, you take it to your dad and you're like, fix this, you know? And somehow you, in, in, the, in your heart, even if your dad's not mechanical, you feel like he's gonna fix it. And so kind of the same as like my dad can beat up your dad kind of thing. Um, and so I think when we're going through suffering, there's not a part of your heart that's so broken that God can't fix it. And so I want to read you another poem that I wrote. I, obviously, I like poetry. Um, this one was from 2015, and I had been uh, diagnosed with uh, stage 4 endometriosis and uh, uterine cancer. And um, I wrote this. It says, Now I am small about the age of 10. Gone is the woman who uh, draws the eyes back when. I am small, my speech even hushed. I am a child, broken, weak, and crushed. I am small, abandoned, I cry. I am so little, I can barely even try. Where did that woman go so confident, so bold? She is so little now, she did not grow old. As a child, I come to you, Jesus, you are my only hope, a needy little one. I can't care for myself, I mope. Do you see me, Elroi, God who sees? Do you have compassion? I'm broken on my knees. Kiss this child on the forehead and tuck her in goodnight. Her teddy bear has gone and she is scared without the light. Please find me soon before I waste away. Please rescue me, Abba, don't wait another day. Daddy, my hands are reaching. Pick me up, beloved one. Hold me in your arms until the morning comes. I need you now. I need you now. Don't go. Don't go. I don't care how. 
And that was just kind of something I wrote when I was feeling like, like when someone says the C word, you know, you're kind of like, and I've lost a lot of family to that C word. And I thought, oh gosh, it's my turn, you know? And so that was really scary. And so Romans 8, 18 says, consider the sufferings of this present time not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. And when I read that again, I thought, it's not worth comparing. Like when we suffer, sometimes we think, gosh, this is the worst thing I've ever been through. Or, you know, oh, or you compare your suffering. Well, you know, she had all this happen and I only had this. So, you know, it's not so bad. I shouldn't really complain. And so, but I just thought, wow, suffering reveals glory. That is so cool. Like, wow, I never really thought that. And... um the other thing that came to mind, and this is something Graham Cook is really um, responsible for saying, is what is it that you uh, want to be for me now that you couldn't be for me before I had cancer? It's like, sometimes, I don't think God gives you these things, but it's like, what, what could you be for me that you couldn't be before? And so that was like a, a question. And when you read this poem, it's like, obviously, I... I, there was a lot of things I wanted him to be for me. Um, and so I also was, um, we found out that I had the, this genetic mutation that gives, um, it's called BRCA2, and it causes most people who have it to have about an 80% chance of breast cancer. And so during this time, I decided that um, I would do a prophylactic mis uh, double mastectomy and then I had a hysterectomy because of um, the other cancer. And so I just remember like, okay, my whole life is like, like in shock, you know? And we, we had an exchange student from Georgia at the time and he was so cute. I said, um, well, I'm not sure this is kind of what you were expecting for a host family. So if you want to go to another family, it's okay. I mean, it's kind of dramatic over here right now. And he just looked at me and he goes, I would not leave my mom. I would not leave you. And it just like melted my heart. Like he was not going to leave me, you know, and it's thought, I mean, he, he was, he was comfortable and he was having a good year. But in my mind, I thought that's not what I wanted for you to have, you know? And so, but the reason for suffering, and this is something that I found out a lot, um, my suffering started when I was about six years old. I could say um, I would go to my grandma's house and one of my uh, relatives started molesting me at the age of six. And so I've known suffering my whole life, but I could never figure out why. Like, why does God allow these kind of things? You know, when you see a six-year-old, you look at them and go, you know, like it's just unf unf unfathomable. But it's like... Um, 2 Corinthians 1, 3 uh, uh, for, through 4 says, Praise be to God, Father of our Lord, Yeshua the Messiah, compassionate Father, God of all encouragement and comfort, who encourages us in all our trials so that we can encourage others in whatever trials they may be undergoing with the encouragement we ourselves receive from God. And so... Um, after I had my uh, first two children, we started having problems, and it was probably because of the endometriosis. 
um, losing babies. And I remember being in church and there was all these young ladies and they, they were all pregnant and they were having babies and I kept losing babies. And I remember standing there thinking as we were worshiping, I'm not going to sing. And I was just like standing there. And this woman came up behind me and she just kind of hugged me. And she says, I know you don't want to sing. And I said, and she says, and I know why. And she says, but you need to sing. And then she started to tell me how she had a stillborn and three miscarriages. And and she comforted me in a way that none of the other people that didn't go through that were able to. And so at, it was at that moment I realized God doesn't waste our suffering. You know, if you if you allow the things that happen to you, and if you look at them like, yeah, I know this really stinks right now, but somewhere down the road, there's it's not going to be wasted. There's going to be like somebody you run into in a grocery store or who knows where. It's it can be so random and it it just it it never ceases to amaze me how the Lord always is using these like times of suffering and um even things that I didn't think like how will this ever impact somebody? This is kind of, you know. And so um Anyway, so God doesn't waste your pain. Um, there's redemptive power of joy in the midst of suffering. And one of the other things that I, I thought was interesting is, um, you know, you never stumble while you're sitting down. Do you ever notice that? So if, you're, if you just decide you want to sit down and you want to stop and you want to give up on life, you're not going to stumble but it's when we stumble that we encounter things that causes us to have compassion for other people. And Viktor Frankl, he's one of my favorites. He wrote um, Man's Search for Meaning. And um, he, uh, he, when he was in the concentration camps, he tried to figure out why some people would be in the concentration camp and they would just die like within a couple weeks and others had been there for months and were emaciated and they just kept going. And he thought, I have to understand this. So, and he was, I think he was a psychologist, he was a doctor. And so he started doing kind of his own research. And one thing he noticed was, um, and this is a quote from him, he said, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of human freedoms, to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way, the one thing you can't take away from me is the way I choose to respond to what you do to me. The last of one's freedoms is to choose one's attitude in any given circumstance. Happiness cannot be pursued. We must ensue. Life is never made unbearable by circumstances, but only by the lack of meaning and, pur and purpose. And so I feel like no matter what happens to you, whether you know you've had childhood trauma or you have cancer, you get to decide. And I crack up because one of these days I'm going to write a book. Um, it's called They All Got Away With It. And I grew up in inner city Detroit. And so as you can imagine, there was, it was pretty violent in the 90s. I think the crack epidemic had come in and it was, there was no police. And so unfortunately, a lot of times I was a victim of a lot of violent crime. And 
not one single person ever went to jail or even was arrested or questioned. <laughs> and so, but the book I thought I would write would be about like how I forgave them, you know, because I didn't want to give them any more power, you know? And so when we suffer, a lot of times we can, we can decide to be bitter or better. And I always tell my kids that I say, you get to choose. And so it, it's kind of like, for many years, I was very bitter, and I realized being sad about seeing good things happen to people just made me um, unhappy. And as you become, you know, one of the things about suffering and watching my daughter have two children, and it's different when you watch your children have children, she like literally had two babies with no medication, and I was just like, wow. But what she did was she had trained herself to, to take suffering and to be calm and to let that suffering do its work. You know, every time a contraction came, she thought, my baby's a little closer. And she just allowed that suffering to do its work. And I thought, wow, what if we all like looked at suffering that way? Like, what kind of work are you doing here? What are you birthing? You know, and when I go to the dentist, I'm pretty panicked and freaked out. And one of the, the hygienists said, you know, if you put your hands like this, instead of like this on the chair, it won't hurt as much. And I thought, what? And she said, well, because when your hands are like this, you're more at rest. But when you're like this, you start gripping and you start breathing different. And I was like, oh. So now every time I go get my teeth cleaned, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> It, it does work. Uh, and so that was another thing I was thinking about suffering is how, how suffering, if we allow it and we don't fight it, you know, instead of saying, why is this happening to me and when can I get out of it or when will this be over? Okay, Lord, what are you trying to teach me that you couldn't teach me before? You know, and so um, let's see. And there's, there's actually, they've, this is actually, it's actually chemical in your brain too. They say there is actually a moment between stimulus and response. When you are stimulated and before you can respond, there is a moment that, that, that happens in our like physiology. And I call that moment the space where we get to decide. That is the space where we have the power to choose. And so your body is actually made up for that. So when, when people say, oh, you made me angry. Well, no, or, you know, they can't really do anything to you unless you let them. And I, I always say, you know, if you think that that's not the case and you're having a big fight and someone knocks on the door or your phone rings and you're like, ah, and then you're like, hello, <laughs> you know, you know, you can control it, right? You know, it's like, oh, the pastor's at the door. Hi, glad you could come by. And everybody's fine, right? So I think a lot of times we don't think we can control it, but we can. And our brain says we can. And so with practice, you get better at it. And so that's one thing over the years I've been trying to do is just when something happens and I feel like, ooh, I think, nope, I got a moment to think about this. And I'm not going to give that person that much power, you know, and, or I'm not going to, you know, I want, I don't want to live my life as a hypocrite. I know we all have times where we do as Christians, we, we want to be this person, you know, up here 
and then and there's who we think we are sometimes and then there's who we really are but i feel like we're all practicing you know and so it doesn't matter like if you stumble at least you're walking right at least you're going somewhere you might fall on your face a couple times but that's okay you know that's part of the journey and so i would say one of the best lessons i ever learned was when I tried to hike Pike's Peak and I didn't make it. And <laughs> I had told everybody, I'm hiking to the top of Pike's Peak, you know, and I was so proud of myself. Maybe I was a little arrogant. I don't know. I was in the best shape of my life. So I thought, oh, this won't be hard. And um, I got up about a mile and a half on the trail and the sun came up and it was the most amazing, beautiful thing I'd ever seen in my life. When it cracked the horizon, the rays started racing across because I was up just high enough. And like when the rays of sun hit me, I like literally almost was slain in the spirit. I was like, whoa. And I thought, boy, it's going to take me a while to get to the top if this stuff keeps happening. And I just thought, wow, you just totally missed it, right? But I didn't know that at the time. So I kept hiking. I had, I had felt like the Lord said, meet me at the top. I'm going to, you know, have this wonderful prophetic word for you. And and so I get to bar camp and I'm literally, my lips are blue and I, my, the girl I'm hiking with is like, we need to turn around. And I said, no, I don't want to turn around. I, I just want to accomplish something in life. And she just started laughing hysterically. And I was just like, what? She's like, you're like one of the most accomplished people I know. And I was thinking, okay, I'm glad you think that, you know? So we start, we start marching down and, and I'm mad. I'm like, kicking the dirt and God's laughing he's cracking up and I was like why did you tell me to go up here if you knew I wasn't going to make it and I just heard God's voice real quiet he goes I never told you to hike you could have drove a car <laughs> and I thought why did I make that so hard you know um, but a couple years later I decided I was going to hike and and that's where I think I learned the most is that some days when you look at the mountain you get overwhelmed. And when my dad was dying of cancer a year and a half ago, he would sometimes look at that mountain and he, you could just see, he was just like, and I said, you know, dad, it's better to look at how far you've come. You know, some days you just, you know, when you're, when you're hiking up the mountain and you're at bar camp, you either have to go up or down. Like you can't just sit on the trail and go, well, I don't think I'm going to do this you have to go. And so I said, you know, some days I could only get to that rock. And then other days I'm like, oh, I'm going to get up to those trees over there, you know. But when I'd look at the mountain, I'd say, oh, it's so far. And people were little like this big, you know. And I said, okay, I'm just going to keep turning around. And when I saw Colorado Springs down there, I thought, oh, look at you. You're way up there, you know. And so I... um I always tell kids that, I tell people who are struggling that, I just say, you know, when you get on that road of suffering, sometimes all, it, all you can do is stand. Just that day, you might take two steps and you can't breathe very well. I found out later that I had gotten respiratory edema the day that I tried to hike and my lungs were filling up with fluid and it wasn't because I just wasn't like good enough to make it, I physically was suffocating. And so I had a physical reason not to make it, but I think you know, I learned a lot from that. And so got to the top. My kids were up there. My husband, they had a sign, congratulations. And, and I had some good friends that had walked with me. And, 
and I was the last one. I was always the last one coming up the rear, and they would hike up and they would wait. They were all like 15 years younger than me too. And when we got to the last little bit, um, they just waited and they were like, you go first. And I just thought that is the kind of people you need in your life when you have a journey, is the ones that are gonna cheer for you, that are gonna say no. I know that you tried this and it was devastating and you were really disappointed. We're gonna like cheer for you the last like five steps of this so you can like have all the kudos. And we were wearing these crazy socks and you know, it was just a really glorious time. And so I just encourage you when you see suffering, don't put your hands on the steering wheel or the chair like this. <laughs> yep, oh, perfect timing. So anybody, questions? <laughs> All right. Well, I actually want to ask a question. Thank you, first of all, just for sharing your heart and some of your experiences and suffering. You know, some of us, it's not the most comfortable of topics, obviously, or comfortable things to go through either, but I appreciate your transparency, Teresa. So, one thing that I notice about you in contrast to other people I've, you know, I've come across in my life or even myself at times. Sometimes suffering can uh, impact people that don't continue to reflect a soft heart like you do and the beauty that radiates from your life. Some people get stuck there, hate God, um, hate the world, um, just are very bitter people. So I know you gave like lots of um, wonderful nuggets in your perspective of sharing, but is there something that you might share uh, in terms of what, what would be one of those highlights for someone who's stuck um, that made a difference for you to keep your heart soft and just to you know, really shine so brightly in spite of suffering? I think maybe having someone else who's been through the same thing go to them. Like a lot of times when, you know, like Greg, you know, I'm sure when his wife passed, people probably said some stuff that was really dumb, that was probably hurtful. You know, people say dumb stuff mm -hmm. and they're trying to comfort you, but they don't really know how to because they haven't been through it. So I think finding someone that has been through a similar thing to talk to that person, because there's things I've been through and I think, wow, that's so horrible, but it's not that horrible compared to this person who lost their son. And I think, gosh, I can't even imagine going through that. <clears throat> Where some people are like, I can't imagine going through what you've been through. But one thing that I can say for me personally, is that God gives you the grace when you need it, not before. Because I always tried to figure out how did these people survive the Holocaust? Like hiding in sewers, having to keep their babies quiet, some having to kill their own babies because they were crying and making too much noise. And I think God gives you the grace at the moment that you're in it, not before. And so... Um, I think that's what's helped me is just been able to 
I'm, I think because I was so negative before and I was so unhappy. And then when um, I gave my life to the Lord in uh, 97, I realized there was a different way, you know. And so I started realizing I, I got to choose, even though I didn't get to choose when I was a victim, you know, um, a lot of times. And so that gave me a, a, a like a real freedom, I believe, you know. And so, and I would just say, pray for God's grace to mm -hmm. kind of settle on them. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And I, if I could just add a comment, because I know it's not just people in the room that are going to watch this, but this is a, such an important topic that people might watch this in weeks or months to come. I feel like it's one of the key things that helped me um, was recognizing in the nature of God. I used to think that God you know, controlled all things and um, put things on you. And that'll really mess you up big time if you think God is causing these horrible abuses and sickness and tragedies and, and nothing's further from the truth. That's yeah. not his nature. And so, but if we believe that, that's a really hard thing to process an abusive father like that. He's He's not the one doing it, but he's the one that wants to comfort you and yeah, and, and minister to you to one, grow through it. One reason that I feel like I don't feel a lot of angst is because I realized that was their free will. They used their yeah. free will against me. Exactly. And it wasn't God. Exactly. And, and I've had a lot of healing where God has shown me like he wept when those things happened. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it broke his heart. That's right. That those things happen. And that, that's a key thing I don't want mm -hmm. us to miss because that's, mm -hmm. I think, one of the biggest stumbling blocks for people that the enemy uses to get Absolutely. people yeah. to think God yeah. is this horrible one. How can you get close to that? Mm -hmm. So thank you. Um, so I have a question after I make a comment. So my comment is um, three years ago I found that I had a tumor in my brain and uh, I made the choice to just lean back into Jesus, Papa, and the Spirit, because my husband said he saw a vision of the three of them in the doctor, and that just gave me all the faith I needed, so that was great. And I just kind of leaned into God and went through the whole process with joy and a lot of revelation. I told Jesus, um, I told God, please uh, reveal yourself to me, show me you, and, I, and it happened through the whole two weeks in the hospital. Mm -hmm. So that was awesome, and I get what mm -hmm. you're saying. And so that's just my testimony. Um, and then what is BRCA2? It's, um, it's actually a genetic mutation, and they're finding out now that a lot of cancers are caused by mutations in the DNA and that they, can, um, they can't necessarily always cure cancer, but the, the new thing that they're doing is finding out if if you have this, well, then if this is the cancer that you predominantly would get, then they can take these parts out. And so in a way, they're curing the cancer before you get it, you know. And so that's like Angelina Jolie had BRCA2, and she got a lot of, like, flack for having a double mastectomy. People think, oh, you just, you know, want to just you know, get new boobs or something, you know, it's like, no, I, I have an 80% chance of getting breast cancer and they're trying to kill me. So, um, I, I, I mean, I'm from, I'm scrappy. I'm like, no, you're not. <laughs> so off you go. 
Um, really appreciate your your talk and your testimony tonight. Um, I've I found um, I you know sometimes when you think you're spiritually mature, like you can handle something you didn't expect an event. All of a sudden, something happens to you where you go down a completely different life path, not an event, but a completely different paradigm, and your life becomes a different journey than you thought. For example, widowed parenthood. Never was happily married, crazy in love. Never dreamt I'd be down this path. So that can lead to some very bitter moments. Uh, and it's a challenge. There's this wonderful pastor out of Singapore who I'm so indebted to because he gave me some tools. And one of the things you can say, the power of your words, life and death are in the power of the tongue, says in Proverbs. And I found out that uh, there's something you can say that might feel hypocritical, but it's incredibly useful, especially when it feels hypocritical. Um, when you wake up in the morning by yourself and you were married, that makes you so angry. And I have a little girl to wake up and take to kindergarten and first grade. I can't be angry, mm -hmm. be a bitter household. So uh, the first thing I do when I wake up, especially if I'm feeling like the most ungodly, angry person in the world, as I say, according to 1 Corinthians 5.21, it's based on Jesus and his cross, not based on my feelings. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus regardless of what my thoughts are doing, regardless of my emotions, regardless if I'm behaving maturely or not. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And it says in that verse, because of what Jesus did on the cross, not because of me. So if Jesus' blood shed for us is reliable, then I most definitely, right now, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And that preacher was so wonderful out of Singapore because what he said to do is go say it, especially when you feel like a hypocrite, especially when you've blown it. it that's the time to say it. Mm -hmm. um, not when you think you've got it all together that, you know, that doesn't, <laughs> it works the least. Mm -hmm. So that's been a wonderful, powerful tool to go through a valley experience. Mm -hmm. um, because there's a million and one things I still don't like about this path that I ended up on. Can't stand it. Don't like it. But I found some pretty amazing things there. Jesus does not leave you. He will never forsake you. Well, and I always tell people, well, you got, you got up this morning, so you have a 100% success rate at surviving this. <laughs> That's great. Teresa, thank you so much. That was awesome. Bless you. Well, we have the privilege of hearing from Doris Brockmeyer. I hope I'm saying that right. Am I saying that right? And you are in Kansas. All right. Well, Doris, right, well, we've got, you got your 20 minutes, and we look forward to hearing from you. So when I asked the Lord what he wanted me to talk about, he said the power of peace. And um, it surprised me a little bit because I hadn't really thought about having a testimony about peace. And so, but I figured he knew better than I did. So I was obedient and I kind of look back over my life and my, um, how I've been impacted by peace. Um, as a young person, I probably would have defined peace as the absence of war. 
um, or um, something more aligns, along the lines of um, peace and quiet. And then um, several years ago, I had a phone call uh, with my sister and I hung up and um, I had a thought that I'd not, it, it kind of surprised me because it wasn't the way that I typically would think and I'd never talked that way. Um, but when I got off the phone, I said to myself, that phone call just really disturbed my peace. And so um, one of the things that, um, as a background, um, I'm the oldest of three girls, and we had a dysfunctional family. And um, my middle sister, Peggy, um, her life was pretty tumultuous. She lived to be 60 years old, and I would say 50-plus of those years were um, quite stressful for her. And so um, in the 90s, um, she and her husband divorced. When they got married, they had, I typically say, less than nothing because he had two children from a previous marriage. And financially, she was not bringing anything to that relationship. And when they divorced in the late 90s, she moved out of what was then a $2 million home. And within three years, she was faced with having to um, maybe live on the street. And so, of course, my mother didn't want her to do that. And she invited my sister to move into her home, a very small two-bedroom home, and um, she was supposed to stay there until um, she was able to get back on her feet. My sister had inherited her um, our father's heart situation, and her doctor fast-tracked her to qualify for Medicaid, and so she could work, but because of her heart, she was really limited on what she could do. And she never got a 40-hour-a-week job. So that short period of time actually turned into 11 years. And so um, through those years, when the family would get together and the family consisted of our mother, we three girls, and my husband, um, um, I noticed through the years that my sister, Peggy, was never getting along with all of us at the same time. And um, now she and my mother are what I would call um, water and oil. And so I was a bit, in, you know, wondering how it was going to turn out both of them living as adults under the same roof. And probably at least 50% of the time there was tension and problems. And so my mother would call me and complain about my sister. And then my sister would call and complain about my mother. And so I was getting, the, you know, 
I didn't like that position I was in. I, I knew that sometimes what they were saying about each other was accurate. And sometimes it was more presumptions that they were making and it wasn't accurate. And I really did not want to umpire that and not having an idea that this situation was going to go on for 11 years. I really didn't um, have any thoughts about dealing with that anxiety. And so it just kept building up and building up and building up sort of like a laundry basket of dirty clothes and it never got washed and it just kept getting bigger and bigger. And so eventually my body had to deal with that and the way that it released it is my, I had this compulsion to clench my teeth. It was something that I, I never had any problems with that before. Um, it was a true compulsion. I tried so hard to not clench my teeth, but it was just something that I could not override. And eventually um, the result on that is my teeth, several of them cracked. Um, some of them broke, com I completely broke off. And so, um, and then when my sister did pass, all of that went away. So that was just a confirmation to me that that those two were connected. But anyway, so I was noticing this cycle that um, my sister was never getting along with everybody at the same time. And then whoever was on, whose ever turn it was to be, you know, out of the loop, um, she would make efforts to get the others to side with her. And so uh, my mother and I were the had the closest relationship through all the years. And when my sister would say things about mother, you know, I would say to myself, well, that doesn't really sound like her. But the things that were being said just were not major things. So I never, you know, really asked my mother about it or anything. And then, um, because my youngest sister is seven years younger than me, and um, I was out of the house for, you know, the first one of us girls. Um, my two younger sisters were very close. And so when we all ended up back in Kansas City, Missouri again, and we were kind of reuniting as a family, I was learning to about my youngest sister and how to you know have a an adult relationship with her so i relied on what my other sister told me about her because they're they had always stayed close but then you know i would think peggy would say something about my other sister and i thought i'd be expecting that kind of behavior or attitude or something and after a while i thought you know i really don't um, experience her that way. So then my sister decided that she was going to bring my husband into this circle. And the first time she ever said something that I kind of questioned, again, it, it didn't sound like him. 
but it wasn't a serious enough thing that I even brought it up. But then she said something and I absolutely knew that it was a lie. And I didn't even say anything to, I, I didn't have to ask him because I knew it wasn't true. And so that caused me to look at the previous year's interactions in a different light. So I communicated with my other sister. I shared with her what I thought was happening. Um, and at first she didn't think that Peggy was being that manipulative. But then we started exchanging these um did you say da 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 or did you do this and such? And we asked each other multiple things that we'd been told by her. And both of us, our answers were no to everything. So it was very obvious that she was lying about each one of us. And I thought, why in the world would someone want to be in a constant state of stress and agitation. And I really kind of was thinking that to myself, but the Lord answered it for me. And he said, because that's her normal. And when everything is going well, she is compelled to maintain her normal, which is agitation. And I felt really badly you know, for her, but, and of course that stress just made her heart condition even worse. So the, that situation kind of caused me to turn more to the word, um, which of course is, you know, my go-to for everything. And, um, there's a number of scriptures that, um, you know, in the word about peace, but the two that I probably walked in the most was First um, Corinthians three fifteen. The first part I had memorized, but I wrote the entire thing out because the entire verse is, uh, you know, very beneficial. Let the peace of Christ rule or umpire in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. Um. And so I, when I was confronted with situations that disturbed my peace, um, I, I had to make a choice. Um, was I going to react or was I going to respond? And I would analyze my choices. And obviously the one choice was forgiveness and just letting it drop, not taking offense. And that was the peaceful choice. And then the other choice, of course, was not forgiving and rehearsing that hurt over and over again and rehearsing um, imaginary conversations, things I should have said, things I'm going to say the next time if anything like that happens. Um, and... Um, that scripture really did minister to me um, quite a few times to help me to choose the path of peace. And I was never, I was never disappointed that that was a path that I chose. Um, another scripture, I didn't write down the reference. Um, 
And that's the one the Lord leads us by his peace. And um, in my church, when people approach me for prayer or advice or whatever, that's also a scripture I frequently would use for them. Um, you know, if they had choices to make and, and so I would tell them which one, you know, or ask them, which one do you have the most peace about? And if they didn't make a decision at that time, I encouraged them to use that as their, uh, criteria. And then, um, there were some things that were not scripture that had ministered to me, um, and one of them reminded me a lot of Isaiah 26, 3, that one being, of course, um, that will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. And what I wrote down was something that someone posted on Facebook. And I wrote what they said, but I didn't, I didn't write down who wrote it. Peace is not the absence of trouble. It's the presence of God. Um, and then another one that I saw, I do not know this person, so I don't know if they're a Christian or not, Morgan Richard Oliver. Um, I agree almost 100% of what he said. I would probably change a little bit of the wording. I'll read it first the way he wrote it. Letting people be wrong about you or a situation while keeping your peace and focus is the most misunderstood power move you will ever make. Now, I would probably say that it was a very misunderstood power move that one can make. And then um, I also have was influenced by Graham Cook and in his um, Wild Love series, he says, don't exhibit your anxiety when peace is more powerful. And so those things um, have been those scriptures and, and those words. And then the last one is actually um, something that our pastor's wife uh, I learned from her. She's a millennial and our pastor is 25 years older. Um, this was definitely a marriage that uh, of two people that God brought together. Um, um, but their age difference caused, you know, some people in the church to be happy, unhappy and, Sadly, some people left, and it's also a, a biracial marriage, and that caused more people to be unhappy. And so, you know, I was saddened for that. But this millennial, she is very wise, I feel, both beyond her years, not just from this, but other things that she exhibits and and uh, walks before us. But um, so... This is it. This is what she lives by. If there, if she receives a challenge to her peace, if she receives an opportunity to take offense, she says to herself, 
if it has no eternal value, why should I let it bother me? And I just thought that was so, so powerful. So um, anyway, um, that had been my journey. At the beginning of it, I kind of thought, uh, because I know that, you know, when you do something like this or you teach or whatever, lots of times the speaker learns more or there's revelation and um I don't know that I could say that that actually happened as I was preparing for this, but one thing that's been um, kind of uppermost in my mind, the Lord made it very clear to me eight years ago that um, I was going to be moving to Colorado. And um, the reason that I'm a Zoomer is because it's that kind of general Woodland Park area was kind of what I was drawn to. And uh, home church was important to me. And um, that's how I discovered Joyland. And but at the time, um, I thought, well, when I moved, it would be me and my husband and my mother and then the Lord showed me, no, my mother wasn't moving. And then two years ago, um, almost, my husband told me that he did not want to move. And, of course, I was not going to move without him. And so um, at whatever point in the future that um, I'm alone, um, then I will wait on the Lord to let me know and you know when that time comes and um i turned 74 this year so i would be moving out there um by myself fortunately i have some you know people that i have met and know there at the church and i'm thankful for that but i think that it will probably when that time comes it will probably be a challenge for me to walk in a new arena of peace and um i'm ready to do that i want to be wherever the lord wants me to be and if i have to do that alone um i know he's with me and um i i feel like that what he's done is made this a gift to me to help me to understand it so that i can walk in it more successfully when that challenge comes Thank you, Doris. You're welcome. Appreciate that. Doris, there's a lot of people that struggle with um, agitated lives in the day that we live in. And could you give some suggestions on how they could um, turn, turn it around so they could have that peace, knowing that Jesus is there in their life? Okay, well, um, my default mode is always, of course, the word. Um, but I, what really made a difference in my life as far as living the Christian life and my relationship with the Lord came at a point where I made a commitment to the word. I'd always, you know, I always thought the Bible was a good book and 
and that it had some good things in it, but there were th- some things when I was younger that I didn't understand or didn't agree with. But I, at some point, um, and I didn't, even at that point, I wasn't spiritually mature enough to really recognize that the Holy Spirit was the one that was leading me. But I just had this knowing that I had to either believe that the word of God was unfallible, that it was written by a God who loved me and recognizing as a parent that sometimes the things, choices that a parent makes, uh, a child may not understand um, at the time, but eventually, especially when they grow up and have their own children, um, they have that. But when I made the commitment, it was like, okay, I'm going to make my life choices based on the word of God, whether I like them or not. And if I don't like them, I will just trust God that it's for my good. And if I don't understand, I'll just, uh, I'll just pray. And I think at the point where I just so completely trusted him, then it makes those decisions a lot easier and not just, not just peace, but I think, I think it's applicable to most any challenge that we have in our life. And so that commitment and that trust, and he's never failed. And we know that, that he won't. So um, that's how I would respond. Hi, Doris. I just wanted to to comment that I can really relate to a lot of the story that you were sharing and just sharing about just the power of walking in peace. Um, I just, I think that is, it is such a powerful tool and gift. And I love just how, like you were just confirming a lot of things in my spirit that I'd say more in the past year where I started really realizing the importance of checking in my spirit if if I have peace in a certain situation and realizing just how much the Lord values us like checking in with that um and and also just the aspect of like as you start to learn what peace really is where it's not like escaping from things that cause stress but just finding that place of rest within the chaos and like what can happen in that Uh, Thank you. Yes. Um, And I think all of us have a journey. And I think regardless of whether whatever it is, we grow in it more and more. And um, I don't remember if it was Graham Cook or Ian Clayton. One of the things they said is where uh, and and I may get it may be off on this just a little bit. It's a few years since I've heard it, that he said, um, wear the devil out by your peace. And I just pictured, you know, sitting in a chair with my feet up and just laughing at the devil at whatever it was that he thought that he was going to be successful in bringing against me or whatever. And and it that visual helped to support that idea 
of, you know, if he keeps coming at me and he, you know, after a while he sees that I'm not going to get upset. I'm not going to get worried. Um, One of the best um, descriptions of worry that I heard several years ago is worry is the interest you pay on borrowed trouble. And so that's another thing that I've thought about frequently through the years. But, um, yeah, peace, you know, it's not something I remember hearing preaching about when I was growing up. And um, so I think it's one of those things that people think it just kind of happens or it doesn't. But, no, we have control and uh, we can decide. Amen. Anyone else? I just wanted to comment. Uh, you know, the world says woman power. I see the woman power in this little church of ours, just the strength that I see in the ladies in this room, and Doris, you too, and how the Lord's helped you along the way, how the Lord's kind of guided you, and and how some of you have got through some <laughs> some really tough circumstances. I saw, first of all, Janet go through that, and before her, Teresa Tucker with cancer. And I didn't know anything about your story, Teresa. You are a strong woman. Uh, a molestation and, and breast cancer and hysterectomy and all of that. You know, God bless you that he's given you the strength and the quality woman that you are. That's really great. And I know you have a very supportive husband. I really appreciate the tribute you did to him on your anniversary. That was really special on Facebook. So, and Greg, your strength, you know, a single dad, and you love that little girl and how you care for her. That's awesome. And I look at Jessica, and she's a single mom, and what she's been through, and the strength that she has. And she's there for her son at all times. And it's just so much. Marilyn, who lost her husband, but she's still strong and doing ministry for everybody and loving on people. Holly, who always opens up her home to everybody. I mean, absolutely everybody. <laughs> and she's wonderful. And Cheryl sharing her story. I'm just mesmerized by you ladies and the strength that you all have. And God bless you. And uh, I just can't tell you how much I think of you all and your strength, and you too, Jim. God bless. Thank you. So that's, that's the fatherly anointing from Tim. It's just like Father in Heaven just uh, encouraging us all and just saying, well done, and thank you for bringing such specific words of encouragement. Uh, as we've all run our race, and praise God we don't do it alone. But, yeah, it's so great to have that affirmation, and that's what our Father does. And Tim is such a great model for that. So, Doris, thank you so much for sharing with us, and we really appreciate you uh, sharing this evening. So God bless you.